Have your Bible with you today. Go ahead and uh, get that out and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. I've been teaching a, a, a series uh, called Rich in God. Everybody ready for more Rich in God? Okay, if you're new with us or haven't been with us, uh, I've, I've taught three parts to this already. And so the first three parts are connected to today. All right, so anything I say today... Uh, is in the context of what I've already said, um, and so I don't want to feel obligated to repeat and qualify every statement <laughs> with what I've already said, so just know that it's available and, and, uh, and there is a context to what we're doing here. Uh, our goal is uh, to prosper God's way, right? This is first and foremost about seeking His plan for our lives. I would not say that someone is truly prosperous or have or they're truly wealthy in a real way if they are uh, if they're not in the middle of God's will or His plan for their life. I don't care how much money they have. That's not true success. That's success in one measurement. But I, I seek that. Uh, I seek God's plan in all parts of our lives. What we've seen from the beginning of this series is, is that throughout the Word of God, we see two, uh, two layers, if you will, two concurrent messages. One of them is telling us how to gain wealth, how to be successful, how to obtain riches. And there's another one concurrent with that that warns us about the pitfalls and the dangers of that very thing. Okay, and so we don't want to be in the ditch and ignore either of those messages, all right? We don't want to leave one out because of the other. How many know that's easy to do? You can pick and choose your Bible verses and say, well, the Bible teaches this. Well, you're right, it does, but it also teaches something else, yeah? And when people find their preferred narrative that they just, I really love this message, and then they exclude all other messages, then they really do disservice to the Word of God and to their own lives. So our goal is not to just validate our position. Our goal is to not have a position other than what the Lord says. Yeah? You, you know, sometimes like when uh, you'll see a, a well-known uh, Christian or minister get on one of these uh, television programs where they interview and they usually come up with typical questions that are around certain subjects and they want to say, well, what do you think about this? And uh, I like it when, the, when the, the, those being interviewed have, are, are smart enough and sharp on the, in the moment to say, well, it doesn't really matter what I think because this is what the Bible says. You know, this is what the Word of, word of God contains. And so really it's not about my opinion. Yeah, because how many know we can have different opinions and agree or disagree with one another, and, and, but it ultimately, it's not what you think that stands, it's, it's, it's what the Lord has said. So that's what we're seeking to get at uh, in this subject and, and all others, of course, but we must recognize the, the temporary nature of material wealth and the eternal qualities of our spiritual condition. Okay, uh, I don't really, it doesn't really matter right now what your level of, of, of money or wealth is. The most important thing, and we're going to talk about those things, but the most important thing is where do you stand with God, okay? Are you, are you financially well off but spiritually bankrupt? I mean, no, that's a problem. It's a problem if you're physically bankrupt, that can create some drama in your life. But I tell you, you don't want eternal drama, <laughs> 
<laughs> and, uh, and maybe you came today and you say, well, I'm here because I am spiritually bankrupt and I need God. Well, you're in the right place. God will speak to you. He will deal with you and you'll go out of here uh, way better than you came. And so covetous is something we should all uh, watch ourselves regarding. We should all be on guard for this. It's not, uh, it's not just uh, rich people who struggle with covetousness. It's all people, rich, poor, somewhere in the middle. <laughs> people deal with this. And it's, uh, I don't want us to read those passages like we have in previous weeks and think, well, that doesn't really apply to me because, you know, I love God and I'm saved and so I'll never deal with that. We're all tempted to deal with that, to put money and, and material things in too high of a place in our lives. You know that's true? Okay. Even if someone has a lot, you can still do that. Uh, you become self-dependent, self-reliant. I, I don't even need to trust God anymore. Why? Because I've got real estate. I've got investments. I've got these things. And so I'm in the clear for the rest of my life. I've got these, these things. Well, slow down, uh, buddy. <laughs> uh, that's what we're talking about. Being self-reliant is not what God wants. He, he wants you to do well in life and always trust him. Always look to him to be the source of your fulfillment and the source of your livelihood. Okay, And so we want to live lives free of earthly attachments and live lives full of heaven, all right? full of God's will and plan for our lives. And, uh, and, but really, when you do this now, when you seek first the kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God as Jesus taught us, what you access is amazing. Okay? Now you have access to God's wisdom. Now you're going to succeed in your, in your career. Now you're going to succeed in life and marriage and, and family, and you're going to succeed. When you seek first the kingdom, you now access the motive, the proper motives, the reason for living, the reason for doing what you do. And, and, and you also become influential in this world system. So seeking first the kingdom of God does not mean you live broke and without influence and without uh, control in this world. All right? It's just the opposite. God just wants us to do it His way so we don't get messed up and make these things our God. Amen. Yeah, But you seek first the kingdom. He wants to raise your finances. He wants to raise your influence in life. He wants. How many know it makes sense that if you have a group of people, or really millions and millions of us, uh, uh, if you have the people who, who seek righteousness, who want God's ways and His plan and His purposes to be established, that they be in charge? Yes. We need more of you guys to be in charge and control lots of money, and control systems. Otherwise, you get this nonsense, what's going on in Washington, right? About to borrow another $2 trillion. People, there are people without the wisdom of God. They're making decisions that affect our lives. So I think that should be some of you up there. <laughs> Amen. And see, I'm, what I'm saying is God doesn't want to wipe us out. He wants to set us up to succeed His way. He wants to use us for his purposes, and all this is, is tied together. Amen? So if you have found Matthew 6, I know we've been reading these verses. I want to read them again. Matthew 6, verse 19. Uh, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so uh, we've covered some of this previously, but I want to zoom in 
on this one particular phrase, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, I don't know if that bugs any, anyone here, <laughs> but it, we don't want to just run past it and say, well, that can't mean, that must mean, what does it mean? When Jesus said that, if you truly seek God with all your heart and want his will in your life, you can't just blow past verses like this without understanding. I mean, you're either going to come to a conclusion, say, how does that apply in my own life? Or you're going to ignore him and that doesn't honor him. All right. And that's not wisdom to ignore the words of the Lord. All right. So when he says this, I start to ask questions and try to be unbiased because I like stuff just like other people like stuff. I mean, I love God more, but I like stuff, right? I'd rather pray on sitting on leather than I would on stone. Sorry, transparency here. If that's a, you know, I'd rather better be in climate control when I worship God than, <laughs> it's just better for me. <laughs> oh, you're so unspiritual. Uh, <laughs> But I, but I want to ask these questions. Based on this statement, is it right to save money? Is it, is it okay to, to own things, properties, uh, maybe that properties that, that pay you an income, you know? Is it, uh, well, you know, what about putting your money in things, investments, things that increase in value? Or uh, he said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Is that a violation? Should I be taking anything that I have that's extra and putting it all in the kingdom of God? Uh, if you're a true believer, if you really love God, you'd need to know the answer to these things. Otherwise, you'll violate your own conscience. And if you have a savings account, you'll be like questioning, like, oh, am I, am I not trusting God? Should I be draining this thing? And we, we need to have an understanding of what is is, is correct in this regard, all right? Now, if this statement of the Lord is an all-encompassing absolute, meaning we should never, you know, uh, save or store up anything on earth, let's see what that really means, okay? That means you don't have two pairs of shoes. You have one right? That means you don't have lots, you don't have a sock drawer, you have a sock. <laughs> okay, a pair, right? This means you don't have a savings account, you just, you spend it all. And then what, by the end of the day or end of the week, somehow you got to have some measurement on there where it's down to zero. If that's, what, if that's what that means, you don't have an extra room in your house, and if you had kids and they had a, each had a room and, and then they moved out, they grew up and moved out, then you have to get rid of those rooms because you have extra stuff. You're saying, I think you're getting extreme here. I am, but I'm doing it on purpose to make a point that what Jesus said here might not mean what some people have taken it to mean. And I'm not trying to do it for my own benefit. I want to know what he truly means. Does he mean that we should live in the bare minimum? I mean, studio apartment. Uh, no extra food. Just what you need for the day. You know, like the manna in the Old Testament. Just enough for today. 
no, no storing up for tomorrow. Is that what he meant? Uh, usually you will find that the individuals who want to criticize others for their material possessions or what they spend their money on, they're usually hypocrites because they themselves often have more than they need. They're not living on bare minimum. And so they've drawn an arbitrary line somewhere and said, well, this is okay, but this model of car, that's ungodly. Or this amount of money, you can, well, you can fly in an airplane, but don't get that extra leg room because that's, now you're materialistic, right? So they, they, people have drawn their little lines and they've arbitrarily done it. And I wanna say, if that's what Jesus is saying here, that you can't have anything extra, then you better live by that. Okay, be honest with yourself. If that's what you believe he says, do that. It's like the, there's a guy, and you'll, you'll see where I'm landing on this as we go, but uh, there's a guy who came to me years ago, and he said, I don't believe that we as Christians should ever have anything extra, just base needs, basic needs in life, and everything else we should give it all away. I said, well, I said, I, said, I, I don't think you're gonna, you can come to that conclusion when you see the scriptures as a whole, uh, but if you believe that, you know, I guess you should live that way. You should, probably shouldn't judge everybody else, but you should probably live that way yourself. And, and then we were out to eat one day, and I, we saw him at a restaurant. Say, <laughs> so what did you think? Well, I judged him in my mind real quick. <laughs> Just to be honest with you, I thought, what a hypocrite. He can eat cheaper. He could have a can of soup. He could have a slice of bread. And he could survive on that. And he should give the extra away. Or he should stop judging everybody else and telling them the same. I know I'm judging him by saying that, but, but he was doing that, okay? And I need to know, is that what the Lord means here? Don't store it, don't have anything extra, don't have anything above base level of living, or did he mean something different? And so uh, these, these kind of questions are, are important. One of the ways I, I, I answer this, the first one, I'll give you a few. Uh, one of them is I'm looking at the life of Jesus himself. How did he live how did he conduct himself? Because he's the one speaking and saying this. And so here's the question. And this is where it gets dicey because religion has leaned towards a certain narrative about the life of Jesus for many, many years. In fact, many people, many honest, God-loving believers, they believe that Jesus was broke, that he was poor when he lived on the earth. And I started to read various scriptures like this, John 13, 29, which speaks about, about Judas having the money box. And I thought, well, why would Jesus have a money box unless he had money? I mean, no, if you don't have any money, you don't need a box, right? Or a purse or a wallet or a bag or whatever. But they had a supply of money that they would use for themselves to give to the poor, right? Other things. If he didn't, if he wiped himself clean, it just nothing stayed. Everything that came through him immediately, we give that away or use it, then he wouldn't need a box or someone to be in charge of the box, right? And what we see 
throughout the, the life and ministry of Jesus is, is some things. Yes, he was born in, the, in a barn, <laughs> in the stable, Didn't, wasn't born into wealth. But as a young child, you know, the, the, the magi showed up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so Jesus, even as a young child, was, was supplied for by God. And of course, his parents were in charge of that, of that wealth there. They didn't say, oh, no, 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 no that, that's wicked stuff. No gold here, no gold in this house. No, they used it for their livelihood, right? And, and so that was Jesus' life. When he, and he was a carpenter and, and so forth, and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't unemployed, so he had an income, he lived. Uh, when he started his ministry, one of the first things he did is got his disciples, okay? These are 12 full-time employees, some with families, right, that he's supporting. So they need money, their families need money, and they're with him full-time. So there's obviously a little bit of cash flow going on here. They're not without. Um, we can see, uh, and, I, and I could give you, you know, references on all these, but G Jesus had a treasurer, that was Judas, questionable move because <laughs> Judas was a thief. But, you know, if you even think about that, there's one point where it says that Judas would steal from the, the bag. Well, how many know if there's only one dollar in there, you can't really steal it and it's like there's one, should I take it? There has to be a little bit there to kind of take it and not let it be obvious. Just think naturally, just think logically concerning this. But he did have a treasurer. Um, he gave to the poor. That was a part of their ministry. The poor don't give to the poor. Those who are with substance, they give to the poor. Jesus was a giver to the poor. Um, he had a house. He lived in Capernaum. If you, I don't know if you've noticed this in scriptures. And apparently his house was large enough for guests because he would have people come over uh, to his house. Um, again, I don't know details. I don't know if he owned it or if he rented it, but he did have a place. He wasn't homeless. Uh, uh, Jesus wore nice clothes. The reason we know they were nice is because when he was crucified, they were, they were casting lots. They're gambling for it. They're, they're trying to, the soldiers are trying to get his clothes. How many know if he's just wearing dirty, stinky old rags, they're going to get a stick <laughs> and get rid of it? But they, it actually says they, was, they were the kind without, without a seam. And so he wore some kind of nice clothes. I, I'm, I'm just saying this uh, to point out the fact that the one who taught us not to lay up things on earth lived comfortably. He was well supplied. Yes, he was on the road. One time he said, Birds have nests and foxes have holes and the son of man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. And another time he had a pillow when he was sleeping in the boat, remember? And so it's not like he was without at all times. He was traveling and sometimes, you know, they're going from place to place and there's not a holiday in express. There's, you know, there, there was some, a lot of sacrifice, uh, but he had financial supporters that followed him. Okay, this is the life of Jesus. He was not uh, there to build. He wasn't here to build a financial empire. Uh, he wasn't endeavoring to just make millions of dollars even to support other ministries. He was on task and focused. I'm just saying Jesus was well supplied. We would call that prosperous. 
uh, in his earthly ministry. So he is the one teaching people about what they should do with their stuff. The Lord's admonitions as a whole focused on things like treasures in heaven, on being rich toward God and not trusting in uncertain riches, okay? Let me show you that in in Mark 10. Take a, a right turn to Mark chapter 10 with me. Mark chapter 10, and this is, I want to read a couple verses here. Right after Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler, and this guy was inquiring of the Lord how he could be saved, and the Lord told him, sell everything. Get rid of everything and follow me. You won't find that that's a a standard practice. We don't see him telling everyone that or really anyone else. He did tell this guy that, and it stirred up some thoughts. His disciples started freaking out about this. What in the world are you saying? And it it, it reads here in in 10.23, then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Think about it. Jesus said that, and they didn't sit back and say, oh yeah, we know that. That's why we're all broke and starving. Because money is the devil. And he always says stuff like that. No, they heard him say that and they're like, wait a minute, what? What? What are you saying? Why? why? It's, it's hard? How is it, why is it so hard for a rich person to get to heaven? So Jesus gave them a little deeper explanation. And, and, uh, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So he's using the term rich man as a substitute for a person who trusts in riches. Is that still a, a, a real thing today? If someone trusts in riches, are you gonna have a hard time going to heaven? Yes, you will because your salvation is not in your financial success. It's not even close. And uh, it's not, you're not buying your way into God. (laughs) Money will get you a long ways on this earth and buy you opportunities and influence and all kinds of things, but you're only gonna trust the finished work of the cross and the blood of Jesus shed for your sins if you're gonna get to heaven, right? And, uh, And so that's why it's difficult. But now listen to these passages Um, I want to read a few of them to you. So Jesus made the statement about laying up on earth, and the Word of God does not contradict itself. God is not confused. Jesus was not unaware of these passages. Listen to these. Uh, Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. So a good man does what leaves an inheritance. That means he's got to keep some of it for his children's children, for the grandkids. He's got something left over when his life is done for the grandkids. And the grandkids then, they don't have to immediately get rid of it. Ooh, get it away, get it away. Wealth, ew. It's evil. No, no, no. Obviously, the point is, just like we think today, we want to bless our offspring. 
We want to give them a leg up in life. And he says, that's what a good person does. They help out the kids' kids. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 14, so New Testament. Now for the third time, I am uh, ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you for I do not seek yours, but you for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Now, Paul's using this as an analogy in what he's teaching, but there he just throws out the statement that the parents lay up, store up for the kids. In other words, they don't just get rid of it all. They keep it for a particular purpose. And here's another one. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 8, speaking about the blessings that were pronounced upon Israel when they'd follow the Lord. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. See what the Lord says about storehouses. He doesn't say, I curse your storehouse. You evil, wicked storehouse. Your storehouse should be empty. (laughs) Nothing in it. No, he actually said, I will command a blessing on it. If the Lord, and that's to to Israel, but we're in the new covenant. So new covenant established upon better promises is we get what they get plus. Yeah. And uh, the Lord commands a blessing on storehouses that ought to spark something in our mentality regarding our, our things. If he's blessing storehouses, I probably ought to have a couple. Because if I don't have a storehouse, there's nothing for him to bless. I want to encourage you this way, that when we see the big picture of how God wants us to handle things, and I'll readdress what Jesus said, but the Lord wants us to carry ourselves and conduct ourselves and manage our things in such a way that he has something to bless. He doesn't seem to bless idleness or no effort or no energy expended towards something. But when we say, I'm creating a storehouse and believing God to bless it, that honors him. Okay, you might call that a savings account. You might call that an investment of some kind. Something that you're saying, I have this now, Lord, prosper it, bless it. Yeah? And he goes on to say that he will, he will bless whatever we, to, to whatever we set our hand to, okay? He can't bless what you don't have. He cannot bless what you don't do. So the expectation of the child of God should be, I'm creating stuff for God to bless. I'm putting my hand to things so he can make it work, so he can prosper it. So I'm not independent of God saying, I'm smart enough to make a fortune and to run my own life. I'm saying, Lord, direct me, order my steps, lead me in the way I should go. Give me your wisdom, give me your direction, and I'm expecting you to bless this thing. And listen, the child of God should go to work expecting it to prosper. Even if you work for someone else, you work a job, your area, your assignment, your department, that place is going to succeed. Why? Because I'm putting my hand in it. And the Lord blesses whatever I touch. Yeah, that's a godly expectation. That's not about not putting 
Uh, that's not about seeking your own kingdom first. This is, these are the Lord's promises to you and me. So we expect, oh, this area is going to prosper. Someone said, well, I don't do much. I'm on a cash register. Then that cash register is going to fill up. I'm working on a computer, and that computer is highly blessed because your hands are in it. Yeah, there should be an expectation. I'm going to succeed because of God's blessing in my life. If you don't, if you don't have any kind of storehouse, can I encourage you to get one? Not putting your kingdom first, keeping God first. Get a storehouse. Poor people spend all their money. And then get the plastic out to spend more than they have. Okay? Now, don't anybody be condemned over this. I'm aware of the reality of where a lot of people are. I'm saying God wants to help you. Well, as soon as I get some things paid off, I'll get my storehouse. Oh, get it tomorrow. I don't have anything to put put in it. I'll give you a quarter. I don't have a court. (laughs) Here's what I'm saying. Any effort towards this is you're taking a step of faith, trusting in him, not trusting in yourself. What's my $5 going to be? A start. Yeah, but I owe owe 10,000. So what? Don't you want to get rid of that? Don't you want God's involvement? He doesn't want you being a slave to the lender. He doesn't want you being subject to all that. So give him something to work with. Step out in faith. Speaking of storehouses, some of you might be familiar with the, the, the account of Joseph in Genesis. Joseph went from the, the pit to the palace, yeah? And uh, one of the things that happened is Pharaoh had a dream, and I won't, you can read about the cows, the skinny cow and the fat cow and all that stuff, had a dream, and uh, two dreams, and Joseph was given by God the interpretation of the dream. And in, in short, here's what it was, that in the land of Egypt, there would be seven years of plenty and prosperity and abundance and the crops would yield. And then there would be seven years of famine, seven, seven years of scarcity. And so he was instructing Pharaoh, here's what you should do. You should take the seven years of prosperity and store some things up, build some storehouses basically. And put it in there so when the famine years come, you're, you're not going to starve. You're going to be well supplied. And that's when Joseph got promoted to be over the land and all those things. But that was God's wisdom for them to store things up. Did you think Jesus knew that story? Yeah. So that's not what he's talking about. He's not, and there, this is also many times wisdom for us. Not to just be self-reliant, but might the Spirit of the Lord lead you to set some things aside? Might he lead you to prepare for something that's coming? How many know we don't know what's coming tomorrow? We don't know what things are going to be like next year. I've got to be wise today, listen to the guidance of the Lord, and maybe he would have me do this. I, I remember when, when I went, went to, uh, to Bible college, I was a young man, but I, I, I went to Bible college years ago, and I worked for an entire year prior to that, you know, milking. And, uh, and I saved up thousands of dollars, and I went off to Bible college with thousands of dollars in my bank account at 20 years old. And I never once felt like, I, like the Lord was rebuking me, because I sought the Lord 
like never before in my life. I mean, I went hard after him praying. And the Lord never said, you get rid of all that and trust me. Now, he could have said that, I guess, but he didn't. In fact, multiple times through those years, I was helping pay rent for other people who didn't have money. Yeah, you could have said, well, if you would have went there with zero, you really would have learned how to trust God. I get that. I get that. And some people were in that situation. But there are times when it's just, it's just better. Sometimes it's wise. And you're not seeking your own kingdom first by doing it. You're, you're being wise. And the Lord will guide you in doing this in your life. Uh, Proverbs 6 talks about the ant. <laughs> It says, it says in verse 6, go to the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> Consider her ways and be wise, which, having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in, in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? Will you, or when will, will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so your poverty shall come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. So he's telling us about laziness, about being a sluggard. See, this is how you go broke. I did a whole series on that years ago called How to Go Broke. And this is one of the, one of the passages I use. If you want to go broke, do this. Be lazy. Put things off. Don't make any preparation for the future. How many know whether you're spiritual and love God or whether you're selfish and love yourself, uh, winter is still coming. Come on now. Thank God it's almost March. <laughs> but as soon as we're done, you know, winter's coming again. <laughs> and that comes fig figuratively, you could say it's coming in your life. There are times when you're going to need something. And wisdom, being as, as wise as the ants, will get ready for that. I believe God has something better for you than living paycheck to paycheck for all of us. What is that? It's having abundance. It's living in the overflow. Yes, yeah, some people will criticize it and say you're materialistic. And I just say, shut up. <laughs> well, I mean, I usually say that inwardly, but... <laughs> You know, we don't need to be judging other people that way. I just say, if I'm living in the overflow, my life is good and I can help other people. I can bless other people with that. The wise person does prepare for what is coming. And you can do this out of fear or you can do this in faith. So I don't want to, that's not trusting God if we store up and have retirement and have real estate or say investment account. That's not trusting God. Or maybe it is. Maybe you're doing it because you trust God. See, people can do the exact same thing with the wrong motive. And people can do something that looks very similar and do it with a right motive and trust God for their future. Praise God. If I were to break this down, and I'm finishing, if I were to break this down and how we, uh, you know, simple way of saying what we should do with our, our lives, we should work. I mean, work is a biblical thing. And then we should give, and then we should save, and then we should spend. I'm not saying 
go to work or get a paycheck or have income, and the first thing you do is put some in your savings account. You've just violated the very basic laws of the kingdom of God. You never put yourself first. You never do that. First is always him. First is always giving. But then you don't jump to set to spending. It's not work and give and then spend. No, the next part is the saving part. Not, not out of fear, but out of heartfelt seeking of God's wisdom and direction for your life, planning for things to come. Saving might be for you. It might even be for someone else. It might be, but that's how you do it. And you, and you work and you, and you give and you save, and then you spend after that. Like I said, it's the wrong mentality that just, I have $100, I get $100, I spend $100 or $110, right? That is not godly thinking in, in how we are to conduct ourselves. And so I want to help you with that even more as we go. But at 11.59, it's all about the heart, okay? When Jesus was teaching these things, we don't want to lose the perspective. He's always drawing things back to the heart of people. It's not all just what you do. It's the reason, the motive, the heart behind it. He, he said in that same passage in Matthew 6, verse 24, you cannot serve God and mammon. That's what it's about. What are you serving? Have you turned material things and personified them and made them the, the, your, 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 your God, basically? Or do you say, no, I'm going to serve the Lord, and I'm going to use this stuff for my life and for others, and I'm going to use this stuff and let it increase and let the blessing be on me, but uh, I'm never going to get too attached to it because I serve Him and Him alone. Because you can't serve both. doesn't mean you can't serve God and use the stuff, right? And that's where we want to keep this. So what's the answer? Always goes back to the heart. It always goes back to your, your heart, your motive. I can't accurately judge what everyone else is doing inside by just seeing how they spend their money. And I, I can't make an, a full, accurate judgment, but I can stay in, in the right place with myself. Amen? Praise God. Well, let's come back and do this some more. It's going to get gooder and gooder. Amen. Let's pray today. Father, thank you for helping us. Oh, so good you are. Helping us with your...